I think that if you are a preacher of Jesus Christ and you are a pastor, that you should be known for speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. It has no bearing on the kingdom of God who is the president of the United States. The gospel of Jesus Christ has legs. It's got implications, okay? We're not to, we're to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude ourselves. And so it's important that we do what Isaiah says we should do in Isaiah chapter 1. We learn to do good. What's it mean to do good? To seek justice, right? To reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. That's what the word politic comes from, by the way. It means shrewd or prudent behavior in civil affairs. But in order to proclaim the gospel, you have to have political freedom. And in fact, when people ask me that question or make that objection, I normally show them this picture. Now you can see this picture is a picture of the Korean Peninsula, basically a homogeneous society made of Koreans. The South Korean section has light. It has electricity, as you can see. It has the gospel. It's one of the most Christianized countries in the world. North Korea, on the other hand, is a concentration camp. There's one major reason for the difference between South and North Korea, and the answer is politics. The South has political freedom, the North does not. And when you think about this, politics affects virtually everything we do. In fact, politics affects our home, our school, our children, our churches, our money, our health care the poor, the unborn. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, I'm kind of excited about today's topic, even though it's very, very, very controversial. Probably this topic gets me more riled up than almost anything else. It's because it's kind of like the war of ideologies, and we're going to talk about politics. That's the one theme, by the way, that my parents used to say to me, there are two things you don't talk about, religion and politics, and here we are, we're going to talk about them both. Absolutely, and I'm going to try to find a balanced view, and I'm trying to find a biblical view on politics. And I was reading in Romans 14, we'll get to that a little bit later, and I think I found the answer for how we should handle discussion of politics in the church. We can talk about politics if it is in a civil way, a civil manner, and we can talk about religion, of course, because that's what we're supposed to do. I just have a few thoughts about the political rancor and the disagreement, but I want to begin with Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. It says that the religious leaders came and they tried to trap Jesus. They asked him a question, are we supposed to, as Christians, pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, it was, of course, a trap question because if Jesus said yes, he would be accused of loyalty to domination by a foreign empire. And if he said no, then he would be guilty of treason, just like all the questions that they tried to use to trap Jesus. And then Jesus asks for a coin, and he says, whose face is on here? Well, Caesar's face is on here. He says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. I think we pass that verse over too quickly. There's a lot in there. It's really loaded. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. What belongs to God? Render the things to God that belong to God. What belongs to God? Everything belongs to God. 
And as soon as you say that, as soon as you realize, oh my, everything belongs to God, Caesar belongs to God. All the things that belong to Caesar belong to God. All the rights that Caesar has to rule belong to God. And now you start thinking through the implications of that. Paul says later on that we have to respect those in authority over us, knowing that God has placed them in authority. And we can think of one evil regime after another throughout the next 2,000 years. And there have been times when I believe that civil disobedience, even going to war, has been justified in the eyes of the church. But the general idea is whatever authority is over you, you have to pray for that authority and you have to be respectful for that authority. And so I'll just begin right away and say that any Christian who has hatred toward President Trump, who prays against President Trump, is in the wrong. We have to be respectful of those in authority over us. And I see that social media, for the most part I'm off of it, is loaded with criticism and hatred toward President Trump when we are supposed to be praying for President Trump. Now, already the liberals have turned me off in this podcast, but I can go back eight years and I can say the same thing for Obama. I didn't want to pray for Obama. I disagreed with most of his policies. And if you want to know what my policies are, you can look at my past podcast and see my stance on abortion or homosexuality. But I swallowed my pride and prayed for President Obama, and I never criticized him publicly on social media. I'm sure that I grumbled plenty about it, but I had a responsibility to pray for those in authority over me. So let's just say, as a Christian, I disagree with his policy about anything. Let's say immigration, because I feel that we should be loving people, helping people, giving them an opportunity. Because I take that stand, it seems like today, because of my stand, I resist the opposition in such a way where it sort of allows me to be critical critical of the president. Can I be critical of the president and yet still pray for him? Oh, I think so. And I'm sure I'm going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I'm saying on the one hand that we need to be respectful of the president. We need to pray for the president. But it doesn't mean that we as the church can't disagree with the policies of the president. I think part of the problem here, let me correct that, not part of the problem. I think the whole problem today is that the church is biblically illiterate. I think that pastors, for the most part, are afraid of their congregations, and so they're just going to stick their finger in the wind and see which direction the wind is blowing, and they're going to answer or speak accordingly instead of speaking biblically, which oftentimes puts us at odds with our government or even with people in our own congregation. If the Bible says something is wrong and the majority of the congregation believes that it's right, what is the responsibility of the pastor? He's to preach the word of God. So we have biblically illiterate people in our churches who lack discernment, have very little discernment. We get discernment by knowing the word of God and God has an answer for everything. So we have to pray for and respect our president. But on the other hand, we have somebody like John the Baptist who is beheaded for speaking out against the immorality of his leader. And that's why he was killed, because he called out Herod and said, you are sleeping with your brother's wife. That cost him his life. Part of the problem, too, is that we put too much pride in our own opinions, for one thing, instead of getting our opinions or ideas or 
if I can say it even a different way, our worldview. And we know the studies that have been done by Barna on Christian worldview. Maybe 4% of the church has a biblical worldview. That's pretty sad. And we feed our brains all the time with news media, news outlets that confirm our belief system. And if somebody opposes our belief system, we turn them off, we unfriend them. Many relationships have been broken. The idea that Facebook causes me to have more friends is laughable. It creates more argument, I guess, if you're honest on Facebook. I gave that up as well because I didn't want all the argument, all the stress. So I have a question for you, Walt. It seems as if, since you went down this path of of identifying that Christians, pastors, whatever, are somewhat, uh, they don't have any discernment. They're biblically illiterate on certain things. But somewhere along the line, Christianity became acceptable to society. They're trying to make Christianity acceptable to society. That's why we're okay with abortion. We're okay with same-sex marriage. But the Bible in its nature is countercultural. You know, if you're going to believe the Bible, you're going to swim upstream. That's just a fact. If you're going to live by it, if you're going to believe in it, you are going to, by nature of believing in the Bible, you're going to swim upstream. So where did we go wrong on all of this? Well, I think we started to see a decline in church attendance. And so we thought we can win people over by making the message more palatable for people. So we softened the message. We want to stay away from those controversial issues. But what I find is they may not like it and they may not agree with your opinion. Sometimes even people leave, but people want to know what the Bible has to say. They want the pastor to speak out on that issue. We're supposed to be the salt and the light, and we are oftentimes too silent on issues. There's also a lot of gray issues that we see in our culture right now, and our politicians pit us against one another, and this is what really gets me fired up. These are immoral people. When we have people like Anthony Weiner, and if you've got small kids in the room, turn it off, But here he is posting pictures of his private parts and sending them off to some young intern. That is an immoral person. That is not a person that I want to listen to. That's not a person that I should be defending. And then we have the hypocrisy of the Clintons. Do we realize eight different women accused him of rape? Uh, It was just one or two. Eight women had the same story. And we can see that all the way through politician after politician after politician. And now, instead of the church saying Trump is wrong for his adulterous affairs, we defend him and say, well, look at the hypocrisy on the other side. They defended Bill Clinton, so now we have a green light. The world is paying attention to those kinds of things. I can respect the president. I can pray for the president, but I can also talk about the immoral behavior of the president or politicians. And I know I'm walking a fine line here. And I know that I'm talking about being respectful. It's sort of like in a church relationship. When somebody is living an immoral lifestyle, they are involved in immoral behavior. I can love that person, but I can also discipline that person at the same time. 
I can love that person and I can call out their behavior. We have this false sense of what love is and acceptance is. We've redefined all of our terms, and that's something that comes from the left. That's their, they can take that and they can own it as far as I'm concerned. And we take words like love and acceptance and we say, well, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. You don't accept me. Homosexuality is the best example of that. You hate gay people. I don't hate gay people. I disagree with their lifestyle. I don't want gay people killed or thrown in prison or to lose their rights. But that's how uncompromising we are in our beliefs. We don't listen to each other. We don't talk things through. And who are the ones, we hear about this all the time from our politicians. Well, the political rancor in our country right now, who's causing the political rancor when we have people coming in to Congress and speaking vulgarity toward our president, and we have people arguing with one another, and then we have these, these things like the Republican Party wants to kill kids because they're cutting back. Where's the political rancor coming from? Where are the vitriolic words coming from? They're coming from the politicians. But we live in such a void in our culture right now with no truth, no morality. Who do we have to run to? We run to our politicians. And that's a sad state of affairs. You know, it's very interesting you bring up the idea of the border children that are separated from their from their parents. That is a tragedy. And there's another side of the story, which we don't have time to go into. But it's usually a, a certain segment of society that calls our attention to it. It's the same segment of society who agrees with abortion and supports abortion. So you're saying how tragic it is to separate a child from its parent at the border, and yet you're separating a child from its mother in abortion and killing that child. So it, there's such a contrast here, our hypocritical worldview when it comes to life itself. And I can give full disclosure that I am a staunch conservative. So I have no agreement with the left. I don't like their ideas. I don't agree with their ideas. The idea that the government can ever help anybody be lifted out of poverty, which is the main argument of the left, I completely disagree with that. I think they just lock people into generational poverty and they just continue to vote. That's a whole other subject or another story, but I'm just giving full disclosure that I am a conservative. It's also like when you watch a documentary, you watch a documentary and you think that that documentary is full of facts. That's what a documentary is supposed to be. We're going to show you just the facts, but then somebody comes out to a with a counter to that documentary and you realize the whole thing is just a bunch of baloney. Who's behind so much of the immorality in our country? It's our politicians, first of all. They don't institute godly laws. And that's why I say we need to pray that our politicians would institute godly laws. And Hollywood, what is the most immoral group of people in the United States? It's Hollywood. Who is the most puffed up, prideful, arrogant group of people? It's Hollywood. And where do we get our values? We get them from Hollywood. So we need to get back to the Bible and find out what the Bible has to say because the Bible tells us what God says. And I have a little piece of advice, but I'm reading in Romans chapter 14 one day 
And I realized this is the answer. Before I read that, I want to ask you, Larry, I, you are, I know, always trying to put yourself in the mind of the listener. Is there something else that I need to clarify or something else that I need to talk about? Am I talking out of both sides of my mouth? Am I being hypocritical in my statements? No, I think we have to stand for truth, which is what you just said. Truth of the scripture, not truth of your opinion, your worldview, or your political view. That means nothing to anybody. We all have opinions. You know, they're like belly buttons, right? We all have one. But the truth of the matter is it's the word of God. So we have to tell the truth. The only thing I would say with that is that we are to tell the truth in love. We walk in truth in love. So love simply means that I'm not here to attack you and tell you how rotten you are. Here's the truth, Pastor Walt, and I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's the only caveat where we've been so far in our conversation that I would add. That's it. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 just start with this one verse here. I could read through the whole chapter. We don't have time. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, I might say liberals are the weaker in faith, and they would say I'm the weaker in faith, and we're never going to come to any kind of agreement on that. We're not going to solve any problems or come to any kind of solution. But the scriptures tells me that I am to invite this person into my life, but I'm not to invite this person in my life for the purpose of quarreling. And we can extend that into social media. I'm not going to be a troll and look around for everybody's posts that I disagree with and start arguments with people and ruin friendships. I've made and lost friends that I had lost track of for 25 years in a matter of a week. I know because of some of the things that I've said on Facebook or some of the posts that I have put on there. What is the subject of Romans chapter 14? It's eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And what does that mean to us? But I think it's a very relevant example for us today. In each city in the Roman Empire, there was a pagan temple. And people would come and they would make animal sacrifices. And in order to fund the temple, they had temple prostitution and they had a meat market that was attached to the temple. So people would go and they would buy meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Well, you can see right away that this would be controversial. You are supporting the temple. Your money is going to pay for the pagan temple. And Paul says the person who eats the meat is not guilty of a sin, and the person who abstains is not guilty of a sin. We can respect one another's beliefs. And he says, let no one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Then there's a couple of verses. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11. It says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. It's the same principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 22. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, and we should be investing in his kingdom. I've come to the point in my life, and I know this will cause a great deal of controversy in many of my listeners, I don't see that I have a biblical mandate to vote. And I, I said 10 years ago, what if we come to the point where we have the choice between Hitler and Stalin? 
And you know what? We got there in the last election. Because honestly, from the left's idea, Trump is Hitler. And from the right's idea, Hillary was Stalin. Symbolically, of course. But in our eyes, that's kind of where we're at. You're voting for Hitler. You're voting for Stalin. But Jesus says there is a higher authority. There is a higher calling for the church. And we could live in a place like China where we have absolutely no influence in the government whatsoever, but the church is growing like gangbusters there. I was listening yesterday to a video by Jim Cimbala, and you probably know Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. And he was bringing up the point that what did the church do when it was persecuted? What did the church do when it lost its rights? What did the church do when it ran out of money? What did the church do when they were told they were not allowed to preach the gospel? They prayed. They went to the higher authority. And that's a good lesson for us in the church. How much prayer is going up in the church and how much political rancor is going up from the church? I think I would agree with you that analogy between Hitler and Stalin, yet people would push back on you, Pastor Walt, and say, yeah, but you've got to vote the lesser of the two evils, I guess, because if the wrong party gets in and the wrong ideology, and you may have the wrong ideology on both sides, but those are the people that are going to make the laws that eventually will force the church to stop preaching about morality. In Canada, if you were to preach about homosexuality as a sin, you will be charged with a hate crime. And I think that's coming our way too. So what do you say to people that say, well, I've got to vote at least the lesser of the two evils because somehow we hope that maybe delay the decay and somebody will get in and at least give us some godly laws? Well, my response to that would be, how have we done so far? Because our politicians, again, put their finger to the wind, see what the people want. A major event happened in the 2012 election between Obama and Romney. As far as I knew, and maybe George Bush did the same thing, Mitt Romney was the first Republican candidate to not state clearly he wanted to reverse Roe versus Wade. That was the platform of Reagan. I'm going to get an elected Congress and we're going to reverse Roe versus Wade. They don't keep their promises. I'm trying to look ahead into the future. I think we lost the battle already. I think at some point, whether it's you and I or it's the next generation, there are going to be Christians in prison in this country. And I always go back to something I learned four or five years ago. I, you know, I like to study World War II, and I like to study Nazi Germany and the beliefs of the Nazis. And according to the, some historical facts that I read, the safest place for a Jew in the 1920s was Germany. Hmm. Anti-Semitism was much stronger in France, in other parts of Eastern Europe, and in Great Britain. The safest place for a Jew in the 1920s was Germany. Interesting. And how fast that turned, just overnight. And we have this concept and this idea of religious bigotry. That's the latest term of the left. And this is where I believe there is tremendous naivety on the left. Do you think that these politicians, when they're talking about religious bigotry, are not going to put us in jail? But again, my higher authority is God. And if God places those people in power over us, and I'm sure there can be theological arguments the other direction, 
that's not going to stop the church from doing what it needs to do. And maybe what we really need is some persecution. It's kind of interesting that you're talking this way, Pastor Walt, because it's almost prophetic, <laughs> your prophetic statement that we will be in prison, some of us Christians. Again, another thought along that line is maybe God is preparing us for what the world will ultimately become. Because the world ultimately will become anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-church, anti-Jesus, period. I mean, that's just what the Bible tells us and ushers in the Antichrist and the one world government, all of that is going to happen. And so to get there, there's got to be some people taken out of the way, i.e. people like you or me. Let's bring this to a conclusion today. Let's talk about what you're saying, at least what I'm hearing you say, is God has to be first, number one, and everything else follows underline. So my politics really has to bend a knee to God first, right? My worldview has to bend a knee and confess with its tongue that Jesus is Lord. Unless that happens, then perhaps we're going to be off base. Absolutely. The main agenda of Jesus was not social issues. The main issue of Jesus was building the kingdom. And Jesus believed that if we want to change the world, people need to be born again. They're dead. Their minds are blinded by Satan. They are captive to him. So I see two kinds of people, people who are captive to Satan or free in Jesus Christ. And that's the goal of the church. We will never end abortion until hearts and minds are changed. And we haven't done a good job by that. In fact, a lot of the push and emphasis from the church has been to change society through political means. And I think I have a pretty strong argument that that up to this point has not worked very well. Let me finish with this. The first president to ever say he was born again was Jimmy Carter. So 200 years after the birth of our nation, we finally have the first born again. If you look at some of the history of some of the presidents, they are very anti-church, and they were Christian in name only. So the idea that we've always had sort of like a Christian government, I don't see that. And now it's no longer to one's advantage to say, I am a Christian. We'll have our first atheist president pretty soon here, and people won't care about that anymore. They used to care about it, but the cultural mores have changed. So I think we've been fooled and we've been duped for a long time that we can change our culture through political means. Again, I say that our Chinese brothers and sisters are doing a much better job of it. They say that in the next 20 years, Christianity will be the majority religion in China. One third of China will be Christian. It will actually turn into a Christian nation. How long will communism be able to stand when you have Christians beginning to infiltrate the government. That's just a little history lesson, which I always like to do and I always like to give. But Jesus' main concern is building the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor Walt. Great thinking out loud today. I never tell anybody how I vote. And the reason I've done that is I, number one, I believe that neither the Democratic nor the Republican Party can capture all of the Christian social ethical points. I think most thoughtful Christians, Catholic and Protestant, would agree that neither party can just capture the whole Christian social ethical agenda. Uh, and as a church, let's not so much lift up candidates or parties, but as a congregation, what we ought to do is work directly on needs like education, needs poverty, sex trafficking, whatever. So as a congregation, we try to work directly on issues in our city that have political ramifications but aren't particularly you know, aligned with one party or the other. As individuals, I say go get involved in parties. Don't stay out of that, but just do it critically. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. 
please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.